All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave from uh, the Trending Insurrection. Um, I'm here with my dad. We're trying a new podcast. We're going to call it Three Plus Four. And here's our intro. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to Three Plus Four. The perfect podcast does exist. All right, so this is going to be more of um, a religious or... Uh, we're going to talk about morality, spirituality, religion, things like that. Um, and we're going to specifically uh, discuss uh, scripture and we're going to use logic and reason. I mean, that's, I think that's the thing that, um, that I've been looking to do. Um, I feel like logic and reason are uh, not uh, appreciated enough, not utilized enough. And, and when people do, talk about logic a lot of times they talk about spock and they'll say something like the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and that that's not really logic logic is um a a way of handling truth uh and 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 daddy actually just said this a, a little bit ago but it handling truth in such a way that if you start with truth you'll end with truth you'll you um would you say a, a way to bridge the gap between the things that we know and the things that we don't know I would like to add in there, David, that you only are going to know truth if you use logic correctly. Right. That's exactly that's exactly what uh, what we're we're doing here. Because what um, what has irked me a little bit, what has uh, uh, inspired this podcast, what has illuminated for us the need to discuss this particular topic is the fact that uh, there are so many Christians out there arguing for the truth, but using invalid arguments. Um, and actually, sometimes that means that what they're arguing for is not fully true. It's like um, mostly true or partially true, or what uh, some of the uh, members of the IDW would call metaphorically true. So in other words, it's a thing that... Um, a metaphorical truth, a good example of that would be like the belief that a... Uh, porcupine can shoot its quills at you. The, of course, this is not true. Porcupines can't shoot their quills at you. But in believing that a porcupine could shoot its quills at you, people will stay away from porcupines. They'll go like, oh, they'll give a porcupine a wide berth. Well, as soon as you tell them uh, that the porcupine cannot shoot its quills at you, all of a sudden, people have really weird reactions. Like, they'll go up and lick the porcupine, and they'll end up with quills in their tongue, and they'll be like, what? I don't understand what happened. Um, you know, like, like these are, you know, this is an extreme example. You'll find videos and stuff like that on YouTube. But um, the idea that we have these metaphorical beliefs, so these, these things that we think are true, and they're boundaries for us, and they help block us in and keep us from doing really unsafe things, um, I think that we're going to have to deal with the fact that uh, maybe not everything that we believe is true, but that doesn't mean that we all of a sudden go out and do the most ridiculous, crazy thing. I think that's one, one kind of thing that we want to talk about. But um, the idea that um, what I get a lot is I'll argue with somebody who believes in one of these metaphorical truths. They'll believe in something that is, is quite frankly, protecting them from doing stupid things. And I'll say, well, you know, that's technically not 100% true. And I don't know how wise it is or how important that is to, to tell somebody but at the same time, the reaction that I get is usually very um, emotional. It's very much like, oh, well, what do you mean uh, porcupines don't shoot their quills? Of course they can. I've seen it happen myself. You know, like they'll, they'll go into um, kind of hyperbole and emotional defenses of their belief. And what I think we want to do is we want to stay away from that. We want to stay away from the emotionalism. And we want to kind of explore topics. Um that are, are really going to be good for people um, it, without uh, removing the, the mores too much, right? The, in other words, without saying, hey, let's go have a free-for-all. Instead of that, it's, well, let's tweak around the edges these ideas that people have, and let's talk about kind of some of the finer points, but let's not, say, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I, I think that's kind of my, my vision for what we're doing here. Okay, well, David, uh, let me just interrupt here and say that one of the dangers of reasoning with logic 
is people will sometimes reason with logic on something that is actually true, but their argument won't be valid. Right. For example, and I know that this is a way to make this podcast wildly popular <laughs> and to spend a lot of time talking about the foundations of reason and logic, but I don't see any way around this. So, uh, folks, I apologize for this. Hopefully, it will get better if you'll if you'll help us if you'll let us get through this part. Oh, I, I um, think you're I think you're wrong. I think the the exact audience that we're going for is going to love that part of the show. So <laughs> feel free, go for it. Well, we'll see. For example, um, it, it's a, a truth in geometry that if you have a right triangle, then the square of the lengths of the two legs of the triangle then added to the squares of the lengths of the two legs of a triangle added together will be equal to the square of the hypotenuse. Right, right. I remember that from, uh, from kindergarten, as a matter of fact. Yeah, we have a, uh, an old Greek friend named Pythagoras who uh, is credited with this, although it was known long before his time. But any, uh, getting back to the point at hand, if I were then to say to you, here's a triangle that um, – has one leg of length three and another length of length, uh, a leg of length four and a hypotenuse of length five, and say to you that proves because three squared is nine, four squared is sixteen, and five squared is twenty-five, and nine plus sixteen is twenty-five. And then if I were to say to you that proves it's a right triangle, that would be flawed logic because what we claimed was the truth was that the sum of the squares of the legs in a right triangle is equal to the square of the hypotenuse in a right triangle. Uh, but we didn't say uh, that if you have a triangle where the square, the sum of the squares of two sides of the triangle are equal to the square of the third side, that it is a triangle. Now, that is also true. But the Pythagorean theorem doesn't give us that. In other words, we can't classify a triangle as a right triangle because we have the conclusion of the Pythagorean theorem rather than the hypotenuse. That's a beautiful example. Uh, that was <laughs> – sorry about that. So in other words, you have to be careful that your logic is tight when you are bridging the gap from some truth that you know – to some truth that you want to show to others is also true. Right. And I think that is a beautiful example. Um, I've actually not probably come up with uh, as, as tight of an example as that of the, uh, of the, of the standard of uh, arguing for the truth using an invalid proof. Um, although I see it all the time. And, you know, one of the things that people run into, uh, run afoul of, is intuition, Right. So intuitively, uh, you can tell from the Pythagorean theorem and the fact that you're dealing with triangles, uh, you can kind of uh, intuitively, and ultimately you can prove it to be true, that uh, in fact it is, it is true that if you have uh, a relationship between the sides of the triangles that fits the Pythagorean theorem, that you must have a right angle in there somewhere, right? The, the angle actually true. between the two shorter it, sides will be a 90-degree angle. It's actually the converse of the Pythagorean theorem. In other words, in a logical statement, if A, then B, mm -hmm. if you know A is true, then you know B is true. But if you know B is true, you don't really know anything about A. Uh, the example uh, I could use would be if it is a cat, then it has four legs. And without getting really gross or horrible uh, to cat, we would say generally that's true. Um, but if I were to point to a dining room table and say, this dining room table has four legs, therefore it's a cat. The problem with that is I, I know the conclusion is true, and so I'm therefore saying the hypothesis is true, but that's the converse. Now, there are a lot of things that are that go both ways. We call them if and only if. And the Pythagorean theorem is actually uh, biconditional. Uh, in other words, 
if it has two sides whose squares added together give the square of the hypotenuse, it's a right triangle. And if it's a right triangle, then two sides squared and added together will give the square of the largest side. So it, in other words, if you have an if and only if relationship, even if you argue incorrectly, your conclusion will be true, but that doesn't really prove or allow us to bridge the, gra the gap from the known to the unknown uh, unless we use appropriate logic. Right. And, and that's, uh, I, I love it. Um, so you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, salvation and um, you wanted to make some claims about that. Now, I actually think that I'm, I'm going to like that, uh, <laughs> but I, I think I'm going to, um, you know, we slightly differ on this topic. We slightly differ. But I think that there's some interesting things that uh, we, can, we can figure out here. Now, we both already believe in Jesus Christ, right? Like, we're both Christians. We're both yes. um, in, in that camp. And I think that, um, I guess, my borders of the camp are a little bit different. So, in other words, I mean, I'm in the camp, like, right next to you, right? We're not, the question isn't whether or not we're in the camp, because we're definitely in the camp. The question, I think, is more about where the boundaries of the camp uh, are drawn. And uh, so what would, you, what would you say is your kind of thesis for uh, how, to be, how to be saved? Okay, David, what I am hoping in this podcast is that we will have listeners who are curious and maybe even drawn in by this talk of logic and so forth like that. And so what I'd like to do with salvation is kind of do a reasoned presentation of salvation in the same way. Now, we've got to have a couple of things as assumptions before we can start. One of the things that I assume is that God's Word is true. Okay. It says in Psalms, for example, that God's Word is like, silver refined in the fire seven times. Uh, no, look, look, I'm sorry. It says God's word is a pure word, like silver refined in the fire seven times. And I found throughout my entire life that I can rely on God's word. Now, God's word basically points out that we were created by him, and that because of an incident in the Garden of Eden, uh, Sin entered mankind, and we were uh, we were born, every one of us, with a sin nature. And it says in the Bible that we have all fallen short. Now, the 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 phrase "fallen short" is basically the same phrase that sometimes is transferred, translated as sin. The idea there is there is a target and a mark that we're aiming at. And it is the righteousness of God, and when each one of us takes the arrow and puts it in the bow and draws the string back and lets go, our arrow falls into the ground short of the target. In other words, we have missed the target of God's righteousness. Now, it also says that missing the mark of God's righteousness, that the penalty for that is death. I used to wonder when I was a child about the story of Adam and Eve in the garden when God said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll surely die. And I thought to myself as a child, I know I was a strange child, that it wasn't really fair for God to do that because Adam and Eve hadn't had any parents. They had never really seen anybody die, so how could they know what that meant? But I've come to believe that when God was saying that, what he was saying is that you will be separated from me. And in fact, that's what actually did happen. As soon as Adam and Eve did eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, they were cut off from God. God came back into the garden, and before he had communed with Adam and Eve, and this time he came to the garden, the first thing he did was he called out, Adam, where are you? And Adam's response was to hide from him, and also to cover himself up with 
with uh, fig leaves because he knew he was naked. And uh, so we have the story of communing with God, and then once sin entered Adam and Eve, they were cut off or separated from God. Now, God also made a way, because he loves us, for us to get back to fellowship with him. Each one of us is born separated from God, but God sent his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross to shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. And I would quote 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, which says, And the record is this, that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. These things I have written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, I think that one is very clear. God doesn't just say, uh, here it is. It says, this is the record. And he puts it out as plainly as possible. If you have the Son of God, you have the life. If you don't have the Son of God, that's Jesus. You don't have the life. Okay. So I'm actually... Um, uh, we're going to start... We're going to start drawing the boundaries of, those, of, the, of the tent. Let me ask you this. One of the things you said there was that, uh, you know, through Adam, sin enters the world, and that we are then born separated from God. And the only way to get back to that, or get back to that relationship with God, is to believe in Jesus Christ. But let me ask you this. Uh, when young, very young children die, you believe uh, that they go to heaven, do you not? David, could we do something else before we go there? I, 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 I think that's a good place, and I would like to go there. But before we go to that question, okay, I would like to clear up one other thing. I was kind of thinking that that was what you were going to bring up. But the idea of believe in the name of the Son of God, I mean, you find that over and over in the Bible. But some people may be sitting here wondering, what on earth does that mean? What is the name of the Son of God? You know, Jesus, uh, Emmanuel, now, God with Jesus, us? Go for it. Jesus is the Son of God. That's his name. Now, um, when Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was uh, considering not marrying Mary because she was pregnant and he knew he hadn't done it, an angel came to him and said, Fear not, Joseph. This is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Fear not to take uh, Mary, your espoused wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then it says in verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, he then said four and said something else, but let's just stop here. You shall call his name Jesus. In other words, God is salvation. And then the angel said four. He shall save his people from their sins. Mm -hmm. So it was prophesied before Jesus' birth that his purpose was to save his people from their sin. And so when it says, believe in the name of the Son of God, what you're doing is you're saying, I am placing my trust in the work that Jesus did to save me from my sins. So it's not just uh, giving intellectual offense the fact that Jesus existed and that he died on the cross, he shed his blood, and that was supposed to be for sins. It is placing your trust in that. And uh, if you look back at the translations or the original words, it's that stronger meaning. Now, this is a personal transaction that each person makes with God on their own. It's not something that someone else can do for you. If you are baptized as an infant, uh, that does not make you a Christian. If you attend church every week, that does not make you a Christian. What does make you a Christian is having a, a time where you trade 
to God, to Jesus, and ask him to be your Savior. Okay. So, and I'm, um, uh, I'm not trying to, uh, you and I are both Christians, and we've, we're both, that's where we are in the camp, right? So, the, uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of using that metaphor of we're, we're drawing the boundary. Um, and that's where people should go. I mean, if you want to make sure you're inside the camp, dead center of the camp is probably the best place to be. Um, my question, I guess, uh, this is esoteric, right? This is the idea of, you know, the, the little starving kid in Ethiopia that knows nothing but suffering uh, dies before hearing the name of Jesus Christ. And we, I think, um, I certainly believe that that child is not going to hell. Um, and uh, there's a scriptural um, uh, reference where we could look at this, where David had a young, uh, one of David's children. Uh, we got was, a lot of David floating around here, David. Yeah, uh, well, we're talking about King David. King David from, you know, Solomon's father from, uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, he had a child with, uh, I believe this was his first child with Bathsheba, um, who was the result of adultery, and uh, one of the judgments that God uh, had instituted was that the child would would not survive. So the child became ill and was very ill. Uh, David was mourning and very upset. Uh, ultimately, the child did die. And at the time that the child died, David got up and was like, it was it. Uh, he was, he, you know, took a shower, uh, anointed his head with oil, uh, and he was fine after that. And the people were like, uh, at least some of his advisors said to him, hey, uh, David, you know, uh, what's up? <laughs> and David said, oh, it's okay. Um, I cannot, uh, he cannot come back to me, but I can go to him. Indicating that he knew that the child was safe uh, at this point, right? So, I mean, the child had died, but that somehow the child was okay in the next world. And so we kind of get from that, the idea that young children, um, when they die, are not um, are not judged, so to speak, as sinners, which is why I bring up the question: Are we sure that we're born with a sin nature? Are we sure that there is um, some kind of nature to us that is invalid or incorrect, and before it even plays itself out through actions? Uh, that we would be somehow separated from God through that. Well, uh, David, I would quote to you um, uh, a verse from Corinthians. It says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Um, the Bible clearly points out that the sin nature that we have that separates us from God is passed down from father to son, from father to daughter, through uh, the father. Now, well, um, I I would I would argue um, that there may have been some uh, some jumps, some leaps that were made there. Uh, as in Adam, all die. Uh, it means. Uh, well, uh, let's just say what we know that it means. What we what can we we can be sure that it means is that uh, men and women, people, all die, right? But it also just said that, uh, so in Christ, all shall be made alive. And I guess my question to that would be, um, does it really mean all? Do we, so it, it says all shall be made alive. Um, that would be problematic for the whole concept of you have to believe in Christ in order to gain... Uh, resurrection or eternal life, doesn't it? Well, I, I will agree that the reasoning behind a thing that uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say the phrase "age of accountability." I, I the reasoning behind the it's all almost a doctrine or tenet of the church that says there is an age of accountability if a child is dies and is younger than achieving the age of accountability, then uh, they're held blameless. But uh, we have the anecdotal record of King David and the child 
And I will say to you that I believe that that is true and that David knew what he was talking about there. But the, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time talking about that. But I will say this to you, and I think this is kind of an important point to make at this point. Sorry, too many points in there. But um, the, the truth is, if you're talking to someone and they bring that up, uh, you can say, well, I don't really know. And the truth is, that's not my call. But if someone is talking to me and is reasoning and has logic, they have passed the age of accountability. And <laughs> that is, they, a, you know, that is a good point. They have responsibility for their response to Jesus and his claims. Well, you know, you said a couple things actually there that I really like. Um, I really like when you, and, and this is something you've said several times throughout life, and I have picked up on and, and decided that this is uh, probably more uh, cogent than maybe even you realize when you say, that's not my call. Um, we know, one of the things that it actually does say in the Bible is that Jesus will judge the entire earth and that uh, his judgment will be just. Now, in the end, I think that is the, that is the thing that I hold on to. Okay, so let's, let's say for a moment, uh, age of accountability is kind of a doctrine, uh, you know, could we prove it? And I think that the answer is, yes, we could, because of that notion, that concept that, that I think is solid. I think that this idea, uh, there are actually verses in the Bible that say not only will his judgment be just, but when we look at his judgment, we will all recognize the justness of his judgment. And that means even people who are, you know, thrown into hell will look back and say, yeah, you got that one right. Um, Hitler, for instance, when he's, when he's burning in hell, will have no one to blame but himself. He'll say, he'll, he'll look at this and go, wow, yeah, look how, look how far I missed the mark. Um, you can't missed the mark much further than, than what Hitler did. And, and, like, it's funny, too, because there are actually people who've killed more people than, than that. But the, the reasoning behind Hitler's uh, murderous intentions, uh, I, I think, is, is actually the antithesis of everything that we see in Scripture. So I think that it's, it's much easier to see how Hitler is, um, you know, deserving of that. Uh, final punishment more than anybody else that we can we can look at. I mean, at least even with Chairman Mao, uh, he killed more people, but he at least was attempting to he do what he thought was best for the people of China, and that may have been extremely misguided. But at the very least, you could say that his his evil was uh, ignorance, or his evil was um, you know something other than pure malevolence. However. Uh, with with Hitler, you can't say that Hitler's evil was malevolent and selfish, and every everything that you could possibly see about that. You know, that's that's um, everything that somebody could judge uh, something for. Now, again, I'm not necessarily saying that I'm judging Hitler, but uh, you know, if the judgment of Hitler goes differently than I expect it to, I will have questions, um, and I will I will you know say to myself, I will say, um, what, <laughs> you know, but, uh, if we, if we look at that kind of that concept that, uh, the judgment will be just, and that we will also be able to look at it and tell that it is just, I think that we could, um, and this may be an inference, right? Uh, but I would look at, uh, somebody who was like in that position, uh, you know, I used to Ethiopia, but actually probably North Korea is a better, uh, uh, nation for this kind of question at the moment because they, um, the, you know, one of the defectors recently came out and said that she, uh, you know, basically they have Christianity, but it's the state religion. It's it's not Jesus. It's Kim Jong Il. Kim Jong uh, Il is the son of God, you know, and Kim Jong Un or I, I get them all mixed up. But like the the first guy was basically God, and then the next guy was the son of God, and so they they she basically said we have kind of 
this version of Christianity, and yet people are uh, poor, they're starving, you know, people are eating bugs, basically. Uh, you know, the, the funny thing is that the, uh, there are people that want to turn us into that, but the, uh, that's what they do to survive, and there's a lot of young kids that die, and she explained a cycle of kids eating rats and then rats eating the kids when they die, and it was horrifying. Um, and if that's all you know as you're growing up, and you, you, you can't say, well, oh, this person had no opportunity, uh, or well, you can say this person had no opportunity to find Jesus or no opportunity to hear about the good news and then died as a child, um, how can this person be uh, judged or adjudicated guilty of anything? And that's, I mean, that's, I guess that's really where um, I'm, I'm bringing it back to that question of if you truly are born sinful, um, then, uh, then this wouldn't be the case. It wouldn't be right to judge children innocent. I think I would actually argue there is another verse that gives us a, a better insight, and that is where it says that all, all we like sheep have gone astray. Well, I think that that indicates that at first we weren't astray. You know, and, and that's uh, Isaiah, right? So I think yes. Isaiah is saying, uh, you know, we start out as part of the fold and we go astray. We get lost along the way. Um. And I, I think that's kind of an important thing that uh, hasn't made it into the Christian lexicon, so to speak. In other words, people aren't being held accountable for the the sin that Adam committed. They're being held accountable. If they're going to be held accountable at all, they're going to be held accountable for the things they've done themselves. Now, David, if I could kind of step in here a little bit. Um, sure. Uh, there's a couple of things that you've said that, I think maybe we should talk about, since this is the first podcast, um, I have kind of avoided speaking about hell. I think a lot of people who aren't Christians look at Christians and say, you're very narrow-minded, you see only one way to have fellowship with God, and you're saying to everybody else they're going to hell. And Actually, the truth is I do believe that, but um, the idea that I would like for this podcast to, to present to people is that God has made a way so that we could fellowship with holy, mighty God, our Creator, who is desperately in love with us. He is so in love with us that He sacrificed His own Son so that we could have fellowship with Him. Now, as to who is saved and who isn't saved, I've lived for a long time now. I'm going to share a little something with our audience that um, I really hadn't planned to at the beginning. I'm 69 and a half years old, and I've spent 41 of those years teaching high school kids. And from time to time, I've had discussions with them, and uh, they would say, well, what about this, or what about that, or what about the other? And, uh, you know, uh, one of the, I would say, um, side paths they would go on is, what about people who don't hear about Jesus Christ? And the answer is this. God, and you said it, God's ju judgment will be just and righteous in every case. There will not be anyone who will say God was wrong on that one. But the question is this, now that you're hearing this message about Jesus and the fact that all that is required is to make a decision to trust in what Jesus did uh, instead of what you're trying to do to get to heaven, and God will impart Jesus' righteousness to you, and, uh, and you will have fellowship with God through eternity. Um, and I think that's an important message. I'd also like to say that I just want to tell everybody who's listening that it is a personal transaction between you and God, and you can do it right now. I would encourage anybody who is wanting to accept Christ as your Savior to do it now because 
as time goes by, if you are feeling like you would like to accept Christ as your Savior, but you don't, it becomes less and less likely that you ever will. So behold, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. If you are feeling like you would like to uh, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to do it now. Uh, I agree with you on that. Um, I'm not, uh, so, you know, as we're having this discussion, we're uh, using logic and reason, we're trying to um, kind of come to understand the scriptures better. It, there is there is no understanding of the scriptures that I could put forward that would lead people to not feel like they should uh, believe in Jesus and, and seek God. Um, I am not, however, okay, so I'm, I'm definitely uh, in favor of salvation, of, of believing in Jesus Christ, of going to church. I would not want to, to in any way. Uh, David? Yes. Yeah, I, I know I've kind of thrown you a curve on this first one. Uh, no, I like it. As a matter of fact, I think... You wanted to discuss uh, fine points of logic and use God's Word as the grist through which we were going to um, attempt to use logic and to find truth and so forth like this. And I kind of hijacked this first oh, one. No, 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 no. But I think it's very important. Now, you've not hijacked anything. As a matter of fact, I think you've let us. As I'm hearing this, I'm I'm actually thinking about uh, something else that I would like. I mean, this it's it's on this topic. It's a it's a cogent point. Uh, I have a next place to go here, and I don't, in fact, have any problem with what you've done so far. I just wanted to point out that I agree with you on the idea of you know if you're sitting there and you're like, well, you know, should I believe in God or not? Hundred percent, you should. Uh, should I pray and and read the Bible and and try to ask God to reveal truth to me? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and and I'm not gonna go into full crazy mode on episode one here, but I will tell you that uh, God has shown me things through Scripture that um, are are pretty amazing, and they're not necessarily the the patent uh, you know Christian answers for things. Um, like if you go into the Bible, you will see a lot of stuff that is uh, not even really acceptable in polite society or civilization as a as a whole. Um, but there's a lot of David, truth. David, I would say I agree with you uh, totally on that as well. Now, um, I don't know exactly how long this podcast is supposed to be. We're at, I think, about 40 minutes. Yes. And so why don't we just leave the next things that you want to bring up as the cliffhanger for the next episode? <laughs> well, I would only agree to do that if we were about to do the next episode right now. Uh, but I, I, I usually about an hour to three hours. Well, I, I don't want to scare you, but usually about an hour is the, the length we're looking for. I think we could do this stuff that I'm about to talk about in 20 minutes. I'm actually really curious to get your answer. Um, uh, it, what what's the time frame that you have uh, scheduled for this? Oh, I'm 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 free for another twenty minutes if you want to go another twenty. But um, my thought was that these uh, podcasts would be good at half an hour to maybe forty minutes. But David, um, you're free to continue on with this one if you want. Okay. So um, what's the question? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna shoot for about an hour. We haven't said that yet, but that's kind of about what we're going for. Um, it may end up being more like an hour and a half if, uh, if we get really heated on this in a second. But here's the deal. Okay, one of the things that Jesus said, uh, or, or the, at least um, uh, Scripture says, let's say, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Um, somewhere around there, it says that uh, God, that that. Jesus Christ uh, shed his blood to redeem the whole earth, in which in the parlance, in the, in the, what the word actually means, redeem, is to buy back the earth, right? And this um, plays into this idea that Jesus has redeemed the earth, he's purchased the earth, um, and that he will then be the one who judges the entire earth, right? So that, this is 
uh, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, I understand that we're skipping over a lot of logic and reason with this, but we're taking the at least Scripture as true, and then we're using reason to figure out what that means. Uh, so if he's judge, he's redeemed the whole earth, so he, he now has the authority and the power over the earth to judge it. He therefore will then judge it. His judgment will be just. Okay, now one of the things that he said, um, he said this both ways, which I think is interesting. He said, those who aren't for us are against us. And those who aren't against us are on our part. So he, what he's saying is he's drawn a line um, that is uh, basically creates two camps, right? Like that, that line creates two camps. But it's interesting because a lot of people, um, and I think the Christians who specifically believe in this concept that you have to uh, confess Jesus and, you know, absolutely believe in him uh, in order to be saved are missing that second line, which is that if you aren't against us, you are on our side. And I would point out that there are a couple people recently who um, have come out basically for Christianity, for the idea of Christianity, who aren't necessarily traditional Christians. Um, and I'm, I'm going to say like Jordan Peterson, uh, even Brett Weinstein, people like that. And what they've done is they've identified that Christianity is a positive force in society. And without saying like, I believe in Jesus and you should believe in Jesus too, they've pointed out to a lot of people that Christianity is a positive, um, has a positive, a net positive effect on society. The, the idea that, um, like for instance, the, we talked about this the other day, the, uh, the Ten Commandments are just so basic to Western civilization. I don't know how I could have a neighbor if I was concerned that he might come over and kill me, if I was concerned that he would come take my stuff, if I was concerned that he might uh, sleep with my wife. I don't know how I could have any kind of relationship with my neighbor other than every time I saw him getting my gun out and saying, hey, what you up to? You know, like the, the idea that most people are going to be, um, uh, are not going to violate those tenets is really what makes civilization as a whole work. And um, so the people who have come out and, and said this and said, like, hey, listen, I don't necessarily know about everything, but I do know that Christian, Christianity is a positive thing and we need to keep Christianity in our society. Um, I think those people fall under that, that kind of umbrella of if they're not against us, then they're on our side. And these people have actually shown, for instance, that they're on the side of Christianity and they're on the side of Christ's words without necessarily saying uh, that they believe in Jesus Christ. I'm curious what you think about that. Well, uh, David, I, I think the Bible's pretty clear that there is a, a division between those that will be saved and those that won't be saved. Now, let me first start off with agreeing with you in um, 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, it says, um, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, there's also a place, I haven't looked it up, where it says, um, it, this is talking about the great white throne judgment where people were standing before God and it said the books were open and uh, every man's works were recorded in the book. And once they looked at the works, they went over and they looked at another book, the book of life. And it said, if any man's name was not written in the book of life, then they were cast into the lake of fire. Uh, the idea there is that there will be people who don't uh, merit or come to uh, salvation. Now, uh, once again here, um, it's not my call. All that my job is as a Christian is to tell other people the good news, which is what the word gospel means, 
that God has provided a way, and it's completely simple. All they have to do is decide to place their trust in Jesus and his work when he died on the cross. Now, um, uh, the, the bottom line is that there will be a separation, and there will be people that will be surprised. You're aware of the verse that Jesus said, many day, many people in that day will come and say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done many marvelous works in your name? Right. And his response will be, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. And in so, fact, I was going to bring that up because the, the very next thing is uh, he... Um, he said to people, "You, you, uh, basically, this is the this is the parable where he uh, uh, people are separated to the right and left, and uh, th- those on the left, some of them said to him, hey, 'Hey, didn't we do, didn't we do miracles in your name?' And and like you said, he said, depart me from me, uh, you workers of iniquity, you never knew me.' And then the other people, some of the people who are saved, who, some of the people on the right, are um, then uh, questioning him and says." Uh, Lord, you know, not complaining or anything, but uh, what, how, what do we do to deserve this? And he said, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And then they, they said to him, you know, we, we, didn't, uh, we don't remember seeing you. When do we do this? And they, uh, he said to them, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you've done for me, right? And so I think that there will be uh, some shock and surprise on both sides of the, the aisle. Now, that is not to say, uh, still, once you get over the shock, you'll look back at the judgment and realize that it was just. But I think that's the, more, the most important thing for me is that in the end, the judgment will be just. And I think that's what we gloss over with this idea of, um, you know, say a prayer, get your fire insurance, right? Like that, that modern Christian concept, I think, misses out on the fact that the judgment will truly be just, and God is, um, God will not be mocked, and he will not be made a fool of. So if you were really, uh, how should I put this? Um, if you're trying to game the system, it's not going to work. So you really actually have to do justice and be, uh, well, um, I should say do justice, but you, you, somehow you have to be sincere. Let's put it that way. That's, that's the okay, only so thing now, that David, I can be sure I, of. I think I would like to interrupt here and say that it is clear in the Bible that salvation is given to us from God once we make the decision to place our trust in what Jesus has done. It says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life, uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. All right, I'm gonna, it's, I'm... Never, it's never things that we do that uh, gets us salvation. It's just the one who has done the job for us, Jesus, and our placing our trust in that. I used to tell this story about Uh, an individual, this is just a story, it's not true, but imagine someone climbing a mountain and he gets to the top and on the other side is a cliff straight 400 feet down and he falls over the edge. Now, as he's plummeting down, there's this branch growing out of the side of the cliff and he grabs on it and he's hanging there and uh, uh, an angel comes by and and hovers right out of reach. Now you kind of have to suspend uh, belief on this, but anyway, uh, he says, "Oh, Mister." Not to mention logic and reason. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah, well, but it, it illustrates something here about uh, salvation. So give me just a moment here, would you please? <laughs> sure. Um, so he says, "Mister Angel, would you please save me?" And the angel says, "Okay, first of all, I need you to." decide whether or not I'm able or not. Now, the man looks at the angel. He's a strong, muscular angel. The wings are flapping, and he's not breathing hard, and he definitely is a very strong angel. And then he says, yes, I believe you can save me. 
And then the angel says, all right, I need you to understand that I want to save you. And he can see the compassion for him is just coming, emanating out of the angel's eyes and everything. And he says, yes, I'm truly convinced that you want to save me. And then the angel says, okay, press your trust in me. And the man says, well, how do I do that? And the angel says, let go of the branch. You see, salvation is letting go of your efforts to save yourself and trusting in what Jesus has done instead. Yeah, I've, I've heard that story uh, several times, and I get it. Um, I would, my, my only problem is I would have to point out what James said. And he said, uh, you show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Um, and if you actually look at the, um, the Greek, uh, I don't want to claim to be a Greek expert or anything, but uh, if you actually look at the Greek um, form of the two state- statements that Paul and James make, and, uh, you know, Paul says uh, we're saved by faith, um, it, you know, is, and then basically the exact same uh, sentence is flipped on its, uh, flip polarity-wise, uh, with James that says, uh, could you, could you be saved by faith, uh, alone without, uh, taking any action? Now, I'm, I'm going to solve this problem instead of, instead of going off into all the tangents that we could go into, I'm actually going to point to Jesus Christ, what Jesus himself said. And he said, if you believe in me and are baptized, uh, you will be saved, right? And I've actually, I've, I've always wondered a little bit, what is this baptism thing? Why on earth would you have to be baptized? It's, it's, you're not feeding the poor. You're not uh, helping anybody out. You're simply making basically a statement about your belief. Like, what is baptism? And at one point, I kind of had an epiphany when someone uh, posted something online, like the question, could you be convicted of being a Christian? Like, if it became illegal tomorrow to be a Christian, could you be convicted of being a Christian? And I realized— I've got to interrupt here. Uh, you've gone through about three points that I'd like to, to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, you know what, so- though? But I want to save them for the next time. In other words, I know—I <laughs> I, I want to say this thing that I was about to say, but I know you want to talk about this, I, I, and, and okay. so do I. I, I, I totally uh, realize that I just, like, whacked a, a hornet's nest, um, <laughs> but we're at, we're at 52 minutes, <laughs> and I think that we are going to have to save that for the next episode. But this question of could you be convicted of being a Christian, I had this epiphany at one point, and I realized that it's kind of like conspiracy. A conspiracy is not a convictable thing. In most jurisdictions, when you talk about conspiracy, some member of the conspiring group has to take an overt act before you can be convicted of being a conspirator. So before you can be convicted of being a conspirator with Christ or saved through that. You have to take some overt act, and baptism is the least um, innocuous. It's like the, it's the, it's the, the smallest overt act that someone could possibly take to be shown or demonstrated to be a part of the conspiracy. And I think that's, uh, you know, it's interesting because, you know, it solves that problem, I think, for me, uh, where the question is, faith versus works, like, I understand it is faith, ultimately. Abraham said, Abraham was the father of the faithful, and uh, it is said of Abraham uh, that when God promised him about this time next year, you'll have a child or have a son, Abraham believed God, and his faith was counted for righteousness. And to me, that defines faith, right, is believing what God told us. Believing what God has said is faith. Um, it's interesting then that logic and reason come into play next to figure out, uh, you know, based on what God has told us, like what is the next thing that we can understand I, or believe. I agree with you, David. You took a rather tortured path to it. But <laughs> basically the bottom line is, and Abraham believed God, and he counted it unto him as righteousness. Right. It doesn't say, and Abraham did mighty works, and God imparted it unto him for righteousness. 
It says, and Abraham believed God, and he imparted it unto him for righteousness. Uh, your path was very tortured as we were getting there, but yes, that's the, the well, end of it. And I think I'll you have to have— uh, David, you... That's in Genesis 15. Uh-huh. Now, James was talking about Abraham when he offered up his son Isaac being justified by works, and that was in the eyes of the people in the world. Okay, that's uh, a different thing as well. So we have um, faith, uh, Genesis 15, and then works, Genesis 22. And we can talk about works following faith and all that. But I'll say one more thing. Paul wrote in Romans, uh, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him who justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted to him for righteousness. I think that's Romans 4, 8. Uh, I'll look it up for next time. Okay. <clears throat> well, yeah, my point was that, uh, in other words, um, God God may know whether or not someone is, uh, is faithful. Uh, but I think that uh, the idea of um, taking some action— uh, on your faith. In other words, I don't think you can live uh, a life believing in God and then act in complete opposition to it. So, uh, to me, your your actions follow from your beliefs, and you're going to act in ways that would further what you believe in. And uh, the only, I mean, you would have to live in such a repressive society to actually come to the position where you um, and maybe North Korea would be like this, but where you believe in, in Jesus Christ and you believe in God um, and then act in, a com- in complete opposition to that. Like, the, it would be uh, remarkable if such a thing occurred. Uh, I'm not saying that it's impossible, but it would be extremely remarkable. So at least take one. I think that, that explains baptism, though. I mean, that's, that's uh, to me, that's the thing. Um, and... We are about at 57 minutes. Uh, I know that we're going to, we should probably, you know, figure out exactly what it is we want to talk about on the next one. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, fertile ground to cover still. Okay. Well, I think probably we should pick up on this faith versus works thing. Um, And uh, that's uh, where, I would be very happy to start out the next one. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think um, I'm kind of... Uh, I'm a, I'm, well, you know what we should, we should talk about? I'm definitely excited about this. I think we're, there's going to be a lot of great topics. Um, and maybe we should get a little bit more fundamental even before we start talking about faith versus works because then we're, you know, we're going to be tapping several... Um, different writings on that point and uh there, there may be some more fundamental questions about the writings themselves but uh <laughs> um I, we could definitely definitely uh well i'd say what we'll we'll talk about that and we'll take that offline and everybody you come listen to the second uh podcast and we'll figure out what it was that we uh ended up deciding to uh, to go with i'm looking forward to it i think that these are going to be good and uh, ladies and gentlemen, I think uh, thank you for joining us, and we'll uh, uh, hopefully see you again next time. Now to him who is able to keep you, who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, before all time, and now, and forever.
land and power for all time and now and forever. Now to him amen and amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Of his Amen. Amen.